today we talk about the gathered church and uh, when I speak of the gathered church uh, what I'm speaking of is uh, what they refer to in the book of Acts as the temple which we would today refer to as the sanctuary the place where we publicly gather for worship and so this gathered worship space or this gathered worship um, is uh, still a part of our lives today as it was for these apostles in the early church as it was for the people of Israel as they gathered at the temple and in synagogues throughout Israel. So I grew up with temple worship. Um, I also grew up with scattered worship, but I wanted to talk more right now about growing up um, as a part of a temple or sanctuary worship. My family and I attended worship and uh, my brothers and I attended Sunday school every single Sunday. We were in worship and we were in Sunday school. And we sang in the children's choir. And uh, I think I wish I would have had Miss Patty for my, my children's choir director. Um, but the woman I had was fine, um, just not as fun. And um, then we also um, attended uh, Holy Communion classes uh, when I was in the fourth grade. Uh, I was um, certified, I guess, uh, acceptable to, to receive communion, so I received my first communion uh, in the fourth grade. Later on, I attended confirmation classes, and I confirmed my faith in, um, confirmed my faith in, in Jesus in uh, the end of ninth grade. And so um, I was in youth group throughout junior high and high school. Um, one summer in high school, uh, our youth group attended the National Lutheran Youth Gathering that was in New Orleans and uh, was the first group, I think, that ever used the, the Superdome. And uh, back then it wasn't called the Mercedes-Benz Superdome, it was just the Superdome. Um, it was so new that the air conditioning was only working in the hallways and not in the main um, open arena part of, the, part of the stadium. Our church always had a pastor. We always had Sunday school teachers. We always had youth ministers. Uh, we even had confirmation uh, teachers and helpers. Uh, we had choir directors. Most of them um, were part-time staff, but they were a part of the church, part of the, the sanctuary worship. When I had my first open heart surgery, I uh, had just turned eight years of age. And I remember I was in the hospital for three weeks. It was a long recovery time back then. They didn't um, punch you out of the hospital as quickly as, as we do today. But I remember my pastor and his wife making uh, a trip, a five hour each way drive to come and visit me and my parents uh, at one point during that three week stay uh, when I was at the University of Iowa Hospital. And so the, the temple worship experience that I had growing up was a very, very profound one, a very important one. And it is one that uh, uh, helped to form who, who I am today. But I also grew up participating in the scattered church, meeting house to house, um, having home church experiences. Um, as I've shared with you before, we um, had prayer, uh, a, a prayer of thanksgiving for food before every meal. Um, we uh, had a devotion every evening after the dinner, evening meal. Uh, my dad would share a devotion. Today you'll hear uh, one of the books that, that we used to use um, in the children's message. 
And, uh, and then we also had um, uh, a little mini worship service when we'd go to bed at night. We'd pray a formal prayer. We'd pray free prayer. We would sing hymns. We would sing Christian songs. I'm sure it took at least 20 to 30 minutes every night. And so the home church experience was very real part of my growing up as well. Even when I went to my grandparents, especially my dad's side of the family, we had uh, devotions and worship services, even as a part of our experience uh, when we'd visit them on the farm. And so I grew up going to temple worship, and I also grew up going to the scattered church, the house church. But one of the things that I found interesting was um, that I didn't really focus on the scattered church during my first 20 plus years of ministry. It's just been in the last decade that I've kind of uncovered that and uh, begun to, uh, to try to flesh that out. And so um, one of the things that, that I have learned um, about the scattered church was that there was no education for that in seminary. My seminary education focused on the gathered church, on the temple worship, the sanctuary worship, and all the related aspects of program, programs and ministries that relate to that. And so um, it's probably not a surprise that it wasn't a part of my ministry in those first 20 years. So, so I would like to take a look at, the, um, at how the book of Acts in particular depicts temple worship. Um, and so there's a, a few readings that I'd like to draw your attention to here. The first one is Acts 3, verse 1. And this is where it says in verse 1 that Peter and John went up to the temple to pray. So what we know about this early church is that these apostles and these early believers, followers of Jesus, continued to go to the place of worship in Israel, the temple in Jerusalem. And, um, and, and even when they spread out from Jerusalem, they would still go to the synagogues. And so the, the gathered worship experience was very much a part of, of who they were, even as followers of Jesus. So when, um, when they would go to the temple, it says they would go for prayer. Well, what does prayer mean in, in this particular reference? Prayer is another uh, word for worship. Um, there's a Latin phrase that I remember learning when I went to seminary. It was called lex orande, lex credende. And basically what it means is that the law of what you are to pray is the law of what you will believe. And, and so how you pray is how you believe. And, and so prayer became um, under, was understood more as an integrative aspect of worship. So that when you when you gathered for worship, prayer and belief were integral to, to your worship. Liturgy and scripture and theology were all a part of your worship. What is prayed in worship is what is believed in worship. Even after Jesus' death and resurrection, this, the temple is still the place where they go uh, for uh, public worship. It's still where they gather. Uh, for that public worship experience. What is different is that um, they now include their belief in Jesus as they gather together for this public worship at the temple. 
And so in Acts chapter 5, the reading that I read earlier, um, the reading for today, the apostles um, have been arrested. And why were they arrested? For, for teaching about Jesus in the temple, for proclaiming Jesus' name. Temple worship was public worship. And you taught what you believed in that public worship. As you prayed your prayers, as you sang your hymns and your songs, as you offered your praise and thanksgiving, you offered what you believed. And so what the apostles were introducing was a new aspect of belief that not everyone agreed with in the temple. And so they were being arrested because they kept preaching and teaching about Jesus. The people didn't mind hearing this, but some of the religious leaders did mind hearing it. They were offended by it. So the story of Jesus was not acceptable to all of the religious leaders during this period of gathered worship. And that is why the apostles were arrested. But God works through even these hardships, as we learn from 1 Peter during these times of suffering. God works through these and creates new opportunities. The angel uh, comes to them when they are imprisoned in the jail at night, and he releases them. The people still who have arrested them, they all think that they're still in prison. The next morning they call for the guards to bring them up from the prison so that they can put them on trial. And uh, when, they, when they gather together for that trial, um, the problem is that there's no apostles there. And then the report comes that they know where the apostles are at. They're preaching and they're teaching in the temple. And so what we see in this particular portion of scripture is, the, um, uh, is how God continues to use these apostles to proclaim Jesus. In Acts 21, uh, when Paul goes to Jerusalem, the first thing that he does is he goes to the temple to prepare for public worship. And he goes through a, a process of um, purification rites. Let me take a re read of Acts 21 for you here. I'm going to begin at, at verse 26, and uh, we'll read up to verse 33. So Paul went to the temple the next day with the other men. They had already started the purification ritual, so he publicly announced the date when their vows would end and sacrifices would be offered for each of them. The seven days were almost ended when some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple and roused a mob against him. They grabbed him, yelling, Men of Israel, help us! This is the man who preaches against our people everywhere and tells everyone to disobey the Jewish laws. He speaks against the temple and even defiles this holy place by bringing in Gentiles. For earlier that day, they had seen him in the city with Trophimus, a Gentile from Ephesus, and they assumed that Paul had taken him into the temple. The whole city was rocked by these accusations, and a great riot followed. Paul was grabbed and dragged out of the temple, and immediately the gates were closed behind him. As they were trying to kill him, word reached the commander of the Roman a regiment that all of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately called out his soldiers and officers and ran down among the crowd. When the mob saw the commander and the troops coming, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander arrested him and ordered him bound with two chains. 
Paul's life is threatened. And eventually he is arrested because he was preparing to worship in the temple. But he had been preaching a freedom to the Gentiles in Asia. And some of the unbelieving Jews, the unbelieving Jews of Jesus, were in Jerusalem at the same time and accused him wrongly, but accused him of um, preaching that no one had to obey the law. Obviously, Paul didn't believe that because he was participating in purification rites. He was being obedient to the law as he was preparing to gather for his public worship in Jerusalem. So worship was this public event where you offered your interpretations of the scripture. Peter and Paul used this as an opportunity to proclaim Jesus as the Messiah, the crucified Messiah. And so that is how it began in the early church. But in the first four centuries, worship changed pretty dramatically, temple worship in particular. It changed because of some of the changes in society. Christianity became a part of the public life in the fourth century when it became the official uh, religion of the Roman Empire. Uh, when it was accepted as the official religion, the public worship um, was no longer an adversarial experience, but it was one that promoted Christianity. No longer was temple worship used for evangelism purposes because everyone was baptized into the state church. The state was now a Christian state. Whereas Holy Communion had been a private experience in the early church, you didn't do that in the temple, you went and did that in your homes, kind of like the Passover, the house churches. So now Holy Communion becomes a part of the public worship in the temple. So these were some of the changes that, that happened in those first four centuries that have made an imprint on who we are today in our temple worship and our sanctuary worship and our public worship. And so we wanna continue with that public worship, that gathered worship experience. We want to do that as safe as possible, um, you know, when it is safe for us to gather again as worshipers. And I'm so thankful for the gift of technology because we are still able to gather like we are today in a virtual sense. And so the, the body of Christ still assemblies in a public worship context, but we just do it virtually through this gift of technology. Our Facebook Live services allow us to gather and to worship and to be together. Um, we can't see each other's faces like you can on Zoom, but if you put your name in on the chat, you can let us know that you're there and your friends will see that you're here. A few of you already do that every week. And so that's, that's a way for us to be able to begin to see who the body of Christ is on this particular Sunday morning. And we hope that by early October, we can begin to worship in our sanctuary space once again albeit it will be different um, as we gather. And please let me be clear about this because I've had a couple of questions and I, I want to put aside any worries or, or anxiousness. 
um, when we gather again publicly, that will not be the end of our live streaming on Facebook. We will continue to stream our worship services, even after we are able to gather in public, even after we are able to return to normal gathering practices, we will still continue to offer streaming of our worship on Facebook. These house churches that we are talking about um, in the context of the scattered church um, are also integral to this gathered church because it is through this public um, experience of, of worshiping together that we can begin to talk about the scattered church, the, the churches that might be happening in homes. So as we gather for the temple worship, I would like to, to ask uh, for you to do me a favor. And that would be to give me permission to do an experiment. What I'd like to experiment is to develop a house church or two experience where Christians and others can gather together to begin to pray and to worship, to discern how God is calling them to be the church in their context. So even though we are still looking at the, the gathered church, one of the things that um, I sense God calling us to do is to uh, provide a scattered church experience for people that are not ready to come back to be in public worship, uh, but also who want to be an integral part of the mission of the church. Now these house churches, um, these scattered churches, they may use our streaming worship or with our assistance and support, they may develop their own worship. They would have a missional focus. There's a couple of, I think, really helpful questions to ask when we try to discern our missional focus. Um, the first question would be, to whom do you want to bring the good news? To whom do you want to bring the good news? And then the second missional question is, what does the good news look like to the people group that you want to bring it to? What does the, the good news look like? So, for instance, if you have a, a sense that God is calling you to work with homelessness, with the homeless people, what would the good news look like for homeless people? Today, um, these house churches could invite their friends and their families and their neighbors and others with whom they are in relationship with to join them in this, in this venture. Now, if these ideas sound intriguing to you, I would like to encourage you to let me know. Email me or you can throw something into the chat here that, that you would like to talk more about what a scattered church, a house church might look like. And, uh, and as we develop uh, one, or, one or two of these. Um, just a reminder that um, we do this in addition to what we'll be planning for our temple worship once we are able to return. Um, temple worship and scattered worship should be here for the long haul. Now let's begin to look at what house church looks like, especially in this day uh, of change. So as we begin to think about scattered church, public church, gathered church, I invite you to pray with me that we would be listening to what God wants for us and where God is already working ahead of us, that we may join in.
Let us pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your gift of life, this life-giving message that you have given us. In your Son, the Messiah, we have been given the promise that can bring resurrection to even the most deadly experiences of people's lives. As we work through loss of jobs, as we work through unemployment, as we work through pandemic illnesses, help us to remember this life-giving message. Be with us as we discern how we should continue to do our temple worship. And be with us as we discern how we can be about developing house churches. We pray for your guidance. We pray for your support. We pray for your continued love. In Jesus' name, amen.